Hello, and welcome to the Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee podcast. I'm Shaitania Brown, President and CEO of Employ Milwaukee, the local workforce development board serving Milwaukee County. One of the keys to identifying viable employment opportunities and growing an enjoyable career is having a professional network. Networks provide community, supported insights into various elements of the workplace environment, and are also great for making mutually beneficial connections. Given everything we've seen during this past two years, the importance of one's network is greater than ever. On today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Lauren Feaster, CEO of Professional Dimensions, a premier communications network among Milwaukee area business and professional women with a focus on helping women reach career goals via an organization linked to the community in which they live and work. Lauren's past roles have included stints with the Chief of Staff and Managing Director of Development at Teach for America, the Chief of Staff at City Year. In addition, Lauren is also involved with a number of civic organizations, as well as including the Greater Milwaukee Urban League Young Professionals, African-American Leadership Alliance of Milwaukee, and Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority, among others. Welcome, Lauren. I am so glad that you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So tell us, Lauren, um, you've got quite an extensive background in community engagement and education. Can you tell us a little bit more about how your previous experiences have helped prepare you for the work that you do at Professional Dimensions? Yeah, so um, as you shared, a lot of my previous experience is in leadership development. And I know that, you know, just the way that we throw around leadership, that could sound like anything, but really intentional, think systems leadership, conscious leadership, and in a lot of definitions, I would even say workforce development. So when I after having my, my first experience out of college with City Year, my work was in training and evaluating the future core members. So as people would come through City Year, um, getting them ready for the classroom, getting them ready for the world. And that was my first kind of like big job. And I, I really was committed to that. And a lot of that is, who are you? Who do you need to be? And how do I get you there based on, um, based on your goals and what you're called to do? And I think that that applies and there's a through line and a theme in that with every job that I've held leading up to professional dimensions, it's been a different class. I call it a different class. Maybe it's a different, um, a different group, a different cohort. But in every work experience, I found myself developing and preparing people for the type of leadership that they either signed up for or need to step into by way of their commitment to community or what they're being called to do. So I think that there's like, at least that's how I see yeah, and you mentioned workforce development. And what people don't understand, workforce development crosses everything. It is really about developing the individual and their career pathways into um, their particular field of interest. But my next question is, is also something personal to me because I am actually um, writing my dissertation around um, African-American women in leadership roles and potential implications for mental health issues. And so my question centers around the lack there of women in particular um, in leadership, then when you start to go into ethnicities, you even see less and less when we get to African-American women. But recently, the Milwaukee Women's Inc. reported that while the number of executives and board members who are women at the top 50 Wisconsin public companies continue to increase, women held just over 20% of these positions. This is lower than the number of women on boards of companies that make up the S&P 500, which is 26.5%, according to the Milwaukee Journal. In your estimation, are there unique challenges that women leaders in Wisconsin face that are different than other parts of the country? 
Yeah, first, congratulations on your work towards your dissertation. That's that's quite a hefty task. Um, and to answer your question, you know, this this was a tough one because I don't believe that the themes and challenges are unique. In fact, I, I think the terrain is right, like Milwaukee, mm-hmm. is, but we know Milwaukee, but the problems that we're seeing are, are consistent. And I think we could actually learn a lot from looking at the similarities. Um, the data is more evidence too that systems are built for and by white men and are going to favor white men. And I think that's also just to put it out there. This, this is this is a reality. Um, and while data like this is important, I also feel very compelled to say that it's it's dangerous because of how it can shift our focus. Um, right. If that number was 50 percent. Right. You said it was like t- early 20s. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what again, I don't know what the goal is here, but like 50, let's say 50 percent would technically be equal, maybe like 90 percent would be equitable. Right. Because there's differences between equal and, and equitable here. But what would look different? And I, and I don't think that and I, I think a lot could a lot would. But I think we can't lose sight of why this metric was created, which is beyond just having women at tables. Um, it's, it's what is their voice and what is the direction that they're influencing for an organization. And so women as a part of the system also can uphold the system. And so it really matters. Um, when we look at this goal and when we look at metrics, I'm like a broken record. If you ask all my friends and people who I talk to, I'm, I'm always talking about metrics because we constantly talk about change, but we measure the same things. We measure the number of number of people at the table, number of people at events, who's doing this, what's doing that. But we say we want to change things, but we're still reporting on the same data. And so I just, I caution that. I put that Mm -hmm. out there. I'm not saying that life isn't different when we have a board full of women, professional dimensions, board full of women, right? 50% um, women of color, incredible. Mm -hmm. And we're still dealing with this. We're still dealing with a lot of issues because they're systemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think positioning women as leaders in these spaces gives us a better, um, it, it gives us a better anchor um, and it gives us more opportunity. And at the same time, it still presents to your point about just the challenges that we might face specific to Wisconsin or, or otherwise, there's still work to do um, mm-hmm. in the system. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of where this, this question takes me and how I want to think about data. Mm-hmm. And you bring up such a good point. Um, You know, being a researcher, uh, you know, you have to, there's all kind of data. And of course, people use data to, you know, skew things one way or the other. But there's always, you know, when we're using data, and like you said, you brought up a very good point about being careful about putting the numbers out there, because what, you know, do they actually mean? You have to be able to explain um, the metrics and then get behind the numbers and the percentages, because as you start to drill and you start to look for particular things, those numbers even get smaller or they may get bigger in some instances. So that's a good point um, to, to bring up. It's really when we're talking about metrics, we want to know what are we measuring? And again, if we're changing, then the metrics has to also change with whatever it is. Yeah. We're, also, we're if, I add, if I could add something really quick to this mm-hmm. as well. Whenever I read women, I'm also reading white women. Yes. I read black women. I read black women. But when I read women, I read white women. And again, that's not a knock. That is just what it is. Usually when we're looking at this data um, at this point, if data isn't kind of pulled apart and disaggregated for different ethnicities, it's kind of like throw it away because it's because like, what are we looking at? You know, and so I just wanted to put that out there because. I, especially where I sit with professional dimensions, yes. we talk about this, which, yep. is another, which I could go on and on about why I love professional dimensions prior to coming here. But it's like, we talk about that. And mm-hmm. that's, um, that's 
that's something you have to pay attention to. And there are other women in the workplace studies and like by McKenzie that re- that kind of came out a few months ago, I believe, but places that do pull that out. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting to look at the disparities that exist um, across ethnicity um, as well. That, that exactly. And that's the point that I was trying to make. If you don't dissect, dissect the, the percentages, you really don't get it. If you're trying to make change, you really don't get it at the root of what change you're trying to make. Because as you start to drill down, you will see those numbers significantly change as we're talking about ethnicities and um, things of that nature. So 26 can be misleading for some. That can be a great number. But when you start to drill down and start to see 4% <laughs> for right. some ethnicities, right. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for that. For Thank you for bringing um, that point up. So, you know, as we think about more women ascending to leadership ranks, have you found um, that there are less angst amongst women about their decisions of career advancement versus raising a family? Or do you not see it as an issue anymore? Good question. This was big at the top of the pandemic. There were so many conversations about women in the workforce and those decisions because kids weren't in schools and just how that was impacting families and and disproportionately impacting um, women who were kind of naturally becoming and stepping into more of that caregiving role. I don't think that there's less angst. I think that it still remains disproportionately on the minds of women, um, whether in execution, it looks different or not, but it's definitely on our minds. Um, and I can say that firsthand as well, as I think about my child, and I, I only have one, my mm-hmm. child. Um, but I think it, it also triggers a whole conversation about equity in the home. And there's a lot of um, different talks and and, inform- and, and research and, and um, ideas about this, which is like a lot of people will say that that's where it begins. That's where we talk a lot about corporate work that needs to be done and equities, where inequity stems. Um, but at, at, in the house, you know, how is, how is, how is that actually being discussed um, and brought to the table when women are, you know, out of your typical progression because they're not able to work, you know, in the way that we look at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but what is the value add of their contributions? Um, I do believe there is more kind of societal empathy because, once we started staying home, we couldn't hide as much um, what was going on in our home. Right, um, right. Quite literally. Um, and I think that there's been way more empathy around that and more respect, I think, for the contribution of women. But I still don't know. And I say this kind of casually, but I don't know how many partners are, are cutting extra checks to the to the to the women taking on these dual roles now that there has been that additional empathy, not that, not that it would come in the form of a check, but mm-hmm. you know, spiritually what that represents, right? Like compensation mm-hmm. for valued work. Um, so I don't know how much those things are changing, but I will say that, um, I will say that that has become, people have accepted a little bit more of that as like a false dichotomy and not, not an either or, but kind of how, what does both look like um, on both sides? Absolutely. And it's been something, too, that employers has, have had to grapple with because on the end that we sit at Employee Milwaukee and dealing with people with, you know, getting them to work, returning to work. And we have many moms who, you know, it would be interesting research that's done five years from now to see how many women have had to delay career advancement because they've had to stay home to watch the children for various reasons related to childcare issues. Um, and we've seen quite a bit of that um, since the pandemic. And how is that really impacting women in their upward mobility or are more women being able to make career advancements? So that would be interesting to see. But we have had conversations with um, employers about what role and responsibility 
that they play now in this because um, it is impacting the workforce, in particular around women who are oftentimes the primary caregiver and um, needing to make decisions about their children. And if adequate childcare is not there, then oftentimes that will impact their ability to work. Right. I throw that out there to somebody who's listening, maybe definitely a good topic to take a look at when we talk about women in career advancement five years from now, and how the pandemic has actually either hindered or helped uh, women in that, that pathway. So as I turn the corner a little bit, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, and belonging have been buzzwords across the workplace landscape since the pandemic. And as a part of the social reckoning following uh, former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin murder of George Floyd, what has professional dimensions or how has professional dimensions approached uh, this particular space in dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, so I really got to, before coming to PD, which has been a year and about three or four months, I got to really, I, it's always nice when you're in a position that where you're not trying to leave your, your current position and you're like looking at new opportunities because I, I had the opportunity to be incredibly transparent and and vulnerable about my opinions on a lot of this. And I felt like PD was just not perfect, but as perfect as you could be when it comes to an organization that was founded in the 70s um, and by white women, but like the work that they have done around equity and around inclusion, um, around diversity was just off the charts. And I think a lot of people saw that and flocked to PD during this time. Um, mm -hmm. We definitely took, a, uh, we took an approach that was really rooted in empathy, listening and learning, um, leadership and action and healing, which I think was unique. I think it was a few days after I started, the Jacob Blake incident occurred where he was shot in Kenosha. And so it was like first day on the job, you're writing a statement. And and I just knew after reading all these statements and being in community with people who were tired of reading statements, right? Like, I'm like, we got to really, let's be who we are. Like, let's let PD shine um, in this moment because these women have been dedicated to inclusivity since before I was born. So, so in their, in their own way and how that looked in the seventies, eighties and the nineties. Right. And so I think we were, we were positioned very well to step up and lead in that in that moment. And we saw that by the way that I'd even say corporations started flocking and, and saying, Hey, we're interested in the work that you've been doing um, because this isn't new and this isn't mm -hmm. a buzzword and this isn't performative. This is in your DNA. And I really appreciated that. And that is a big part of why I can proudly work there. Right. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not just be a, a check, but be, have my voice affirmed and um, profiled. Um, in the ways that really mean the most. And so I think that that's really, it's, it's every, every opportunity like this and every unfortunate event is a chance to look back at yourself and your organization and say, how are we standing in our power? And that's what, that's what I think we did. One of the, one of the, the best parts I think um, that came from this was we created a space for healing. We said that we recognize that our, our members, our women of color and specifically our black women are processing this different than others, differently than, than others. And so we created a space for the first time in PD's history where we said, let's just have a, a listening and healing space where our black women can come together and process in a professional space. Like that just mm -hmm. doesn't happen. Like that, right. doesn't, that doesn't happen. And well, and we, we, people that, that space remains with little to no maintenance, just a space where people can log in 
see a Zoom screen full of people that look like them. And it sounds so small. It sounds so like small, right? Like, it's just like, wow. But but when you look at all your meetings during your day, Mm -hmm. um, you don't see that. And so having a professional space that's often supported and sponsored by your, um, your corporation that allows you on the clock to be seen and be heard and be affirmed, be celebrated, um, is really special. And I think created a place where we recognized and said like our healing matters in this and not always just, and I felt like I needed it. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm here and I'm like, want to process this, but I'm also responsible for making statements and <laughs> saying the right thing mm-hmm. and being actionable. So I think that it, it kind of just served that, that dual purpose. And that's really, that's really nice to hear because one of my biggest fears when we talk about DEI is it's a buzzword, as I kind of mentioned that they've been around forever, um, but people haven't taken them up the way that they're taking it up now. I applaud people who truly organizations and companies who are truly addressing the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But then I also wonder when it's no longer a buzz and it's no longer the hype, will it just become another manual that you paid a consultant to come into the organization and put together? You did a few workshops with your employees. You had a few focus dis- group discussions and it's tabled and we move on to the next thing versus keeping it at the forefront um, and continuing to grow and develop in that. So that that's another thing that will be interesting to see for all of these companies, because we too have been approached by many companies since um, the whole George Floyd incident and mm-hmm. a couple other things that happened since the pandemic. And um, in some instances, we've gotten money from it. In other instances, we've asked, we've been asked or solicited advice on how, you know, should companies proceed. And my thing is, is this, you know, and we're always happy to oblige. And, and I think we've been very helpful to those who have reached out. But I'm just curious to know, will this continue to be at the forefront when we are no longer talking about these particular issues or nothing is out front and center um, to bring to our attention? So I really applaud um, Professional Dimensions for having that space for um, women to discuss, in particular, Black women, to be able to to digest all of this because it was a bit much. Um, So just just. Uh, turning the corners, talking about you. So as you've taken on increased leadership roles in your career with broader access to corporate networks, how have you been able to maintain your connection to the community at a grassroots level while at the same time making boardroom moves? I think it's a couple of things. We already kind of talked about professional dimensions Mm -hmm. and not to keep going back there, but a, a really straightforward answer to this is that my actual job requires and supports it, which gets into the whole, when you talk about change, right? You're mm-hmm. looking at performance reviews, you're looking at job descriptions, you're looking at the system and like why it's so important to write those things in and have those things live formally in those spaces is because I can show up and say that this is actually my job mm-hmm. to be here right now. Um, it's linked to my success. Um, it's why my members are members. Um, which I think is also really important that that people who are showing up and and paying their dues expect this from me. And that's like really affirming. That's like the fact that I can give you a list of 300 women in Milwaukee who believe in my leadership and expect me to maintain my community leadership as a reflection of what they are joining and putting their name behind is like, it's empowering Mm -hmm. and it's, it's affirming. And then I would say that 
I also have this network that I'm accountable to, like how, how city or teach for America, when you've been in it, um, and you've been in these places, you've been in these schools, you've been in the district of served on committees, build relationships that, that are going to keep you accountable to that. And not even intentionally, like, mm-hmm. but just through their own questions, like people will every day, like, you know, it's, it's, Hey, where do I find, or what do I do? Or where is this? And I do feel a sense of responsibility because I'm not in this, you know, for myself to, to really have those answers. And in finding those answers, that keeps me in the work. That's cool to be able to have your passion still be a part of um, your everyday work. So a lot has been said about the great res- uh, resignation with some employers having difficulty attracting and retaining workers. Have any of your professional dimensions members expressed concerns about this? And if so, what have they implemented to address the issue? Because I know we get asked this question weekly from yeah. several employers about what to do. Absolutely. I, I think we felt this with just so many of professional dimensions members being um, kind of either independent contractors on their own or having their own staff to hire for. Um, we have a job board, you know, we saw an influx there of people just sending me job opportunities, right. And collecting resumes because they're looking for people who are just leaving. I think workers um, are attracted to the same, are, are not attracted to the same things that they were before. Um, and, I don't know, knock on wood, because I'm not, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but I do appreciate <laughs> from a standpoint, I actually, there are, there are elements that I do appreciate um, in this challenge of figuring out how to flex. Um, I think pe- people haven't always been happy and right. like, that's a problem. And, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's healthy from an economy standpoint, I guess, to see people taking ownership over their happiness and looking at some of these other elements beyond just your, beyond pay. Mm-hmm. that that make up your compensation and i think more progressive organizations um and people who were able to move and be nimble didn't experience the same you know traditional you know losses as like everybody leaving kind of thing i think um we we're moving away from butts and seats you have to stay competitive and rethink compensation um mm-hmm. especially when you talk about what attracts generations so there's lots of research around just how how like uh drive and interest and motivation changes across generations and what's bringing people in now. Um, we had in our ideation summit this past October, which is fully accessible on our website as well. And I, I think that people listening to this would also enjoy people were talking about um, initiatives to kind of recruit and retain women specifically. And they were talking about how to make work more sustainable, how to reset norms around flexibility, how to take a closer look at performance reviews and the things that we're expecting of people when they show up. But it requires you to get really specific about what you need. Personally, even with professional dimensions, as we've been hiring and looking at different ways to fulfill needs, we've definitely looked at more like contracted work. Um, Mm -hmm. people, People who are saying, I have these skills, I have these degrees and I'd rather work on a project for six to eight weeks with, and and then charge you accordingly. But there has to be like a different level of clarity around what needs to be done. And it's just a different way of working. But I found that that's also allowed us to um, increase our, our supplier diversity um, and compensate people the way that they wish to be compensated in different ways. So I think it's just, it's managing those situations a little bit differently and really caring about your people, which is what we need to do um, on the whole. And and it's good that you bring that up because we've um, in our conversation with a number of employers and we've had them say to us, 
well, you know, we've increased the wages by a few dollars and we're adding bonuses and yet it's still not working. And I've, you know, and the one thing that the pandemic has afforded me is to be candid in my conversations <laughs> with employers because yeah. they, re- they really want to know. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. if we're candid here, people are, not everyone is driven by money. That's right. And that's the thing that, you know, you can't sell to people now. This time has afforded folks to really think about what they want to do. And it may not even be anything related to your company. They just, Uh they were working there for the last 10 years because it was a repetitive thing that they did. Time didn't afford them the ability to go back to school or anything like that. Now they've had the time to really rethink and use it to their advantage to do those things that they've always wanted to do. And it may not be a direct reflection of your particular company. It is people have now had the time to think about self. Um, And in some instances, we've even done a preliminary survey with um, uh, members of our coordination council where we polled our job seekers who we work with because there's been surveys done to get the feedback from the employer side of things. But really, when you start to understand, no one's really tapped into the job seeker to say, hey, what do you need or what's keeping you from And so we actually did that. We're still cleaning up the data and working on it. But some of the things that have jumped out at us as we've looked at the feedback, um, we asked the question, what was more important, money or culture? Mm. Um, Culture actually beat Mm -hmm. out money. And that's why I say money is not a driver for everyone. You you brought it up with, with something you said earlier. You know, people want to feel appreciated. People want to feel like they have input into the work that they do. And so if you have a culture that's conducive of people feeling empowered to do the work, they oftentimes are more loyal than you say, I'm, I'm waving a thousand dollar bonus and I'm giving you a three dollar, you know, tack on to your hourly wage but yet I'm going to still do what I've always done. And people are like, no, I I don't, you know, I could do something different. And just really thinking about work different because we have some employers who want to just go back to business as usual. We will never, (laughs) like we will never be back the way we were pre-pandemic. And like folks need to get that in their head. And so you need to think about how do we need to adjust and adapt to this new world that we live in? That's right. Because people have options. You know, what you're saying reminds me of something I appreciated very deeply about City Year, which is where I got a lot of my early management experience. Everybody in that program, it's an AmeriCorps program. It's a year. It's a lot. It's, it's like back then it was 17 to 24 year olds. So they were being paid the minimum minimum. Right. Like mm-hmm. we're taking the bus. We're wearing the same clothes every day. Like we're like we're <laughs> at the bottom. And but but what it taught you, you're not managing people like that through rules or through money. You're, we call them, we didn't even call them rules. We call them inspirational standards, right? So mm-hmm. you're learning how to bring these people along on things that are not that. And so I would tell people, go talk to City or about some of that because it's like, there's culture. They, they run everything through culture and a deep commitment to, to like the mission. I can see our, our, our corporate world evolving in some of those spaces where they had to do it because that's just how the model of the organization was. But mm-hmm. like, that's the, the type of skills you develop learning how to manage in that type of environment where people are showing up not for a check um, is, is, is an interesting kind of like boot camp in, in that type of management. Right, right. And so um, as we bring our interview, because I could go on and on and on right. with you, <laughs> right. Right. as we bring our interview to a close, I want to ask, you're still a young lady and um, 
what do you want your leadership legacy? Um, what type of legacy do you want to leave behind um, from your leadership? You know, you're still young. There's a lot of young people um, listening to our podcast. We work with a number of young people, even women who I won't even put it at young people. Um, just, you know, what do you want your legacy to be with all of what you've done, with all of what you're projecting and aspiring to do? What, what would you want that legacy to be left? Yeah. I feel like I've shared some elements of that, um, but I really, I want women, specifically women of color, more specifically black women to really be embraced um, and celebrated and compensated for, for every professional dimension, if you will, that they lead with and every area that they add value. Um, I really want everyone in my circles to realize their power. So I start, cause I, I'm like, I gotta start with me and have my circles be together. And, I, and there's a lot of them. So I think that'll keep me busy the rest of my life. But um, helping me build this kind of microcosm that proves what's possible from a mm-hmm. sense of, from a sense of innovation or inclusion, joy, et cetera. Like if I can create it, um, and reclaim kind of community in ways that we haven't even tapped here, I think that that's, that's how I want to leave a legacy and, and change the way we measure and understand success, um, move us from kind of the world as it is to how it should be and let us exist in that. I think that that's like, there's an accountability there. There's like a certain level of community that's required to even get there. And so um, I think that that's, that's where I'm at. I think we do a lot with what we have, but Mm -hmm. I think with there's, there's still some, like some, some things that aren't as productive um, as they need to be. We do a lot of not productive things with good intentions in the Mm -hmm. name of human good, but I think that we can be a little bit more specific about that as we think about what character looks like and what community looks like. So that's kind of the legacy that I'm thinking about. Well, that's cool. And I thank you so much. Um, Again, thank you for sharing your insights and your journey with us here today. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Um, Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with um, before we part ways? replace your butts with ands reject rejecting that that trap that trap of false dichotomies i think if we change our language there's a lot of times where we use but where we should use and mm-hmm. um the dawn of systems leadership i always plug that because i'm not like a big reader but i'll tear up a good article in like 20 minutes this is very <laughs> digestible so the dawn of systems leadership by peter Senge, and please wear your mask that's the last thing that i will leave people with Yes, but I want to say I love that. Replace your butts with ands. Um, So thank you again, Lauren. I appreciate your time. And I'm wishing you and Professional Dimensions a very happy new year as we close today. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee, where helping people live their best life is our business. Be sure to like, share, or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about Employ Milwaukee, check out our website at www.employmilwaukee.org. That's www.employmilwaukee.org. Until next time, be safe, be brilliant, and give it your all.